one does. It's mad. Yeah, that's the same like, as looking at I them look mirrors. Like that, like that's the same as them mirrors. Yeah, your it's weird. Your, your brain can't comprehend because you're so used to looking at yourself in the mirror. Is this on? All right. Go, go. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that it was. Debbie, thanks for coming. Thanks. You're after doing a nice little journey up to me. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Yeah. We just bombarded you there. With, we're no, on. It's grand. Beautiful roads. Yeah. Um, no, it was all good. It wasn't too bad. Where are you from? Claire Morris in County Mayo. Born and reared. Yes. Uh, big family. No. Uh, two parents, um, naturally. Yeah. And uh, older brother, older sister. I'm the baby. <gasps> Another person stuck in the middle. No, no the you're baby. the baby. So I'm spoiled. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> spoiled. Loved being the baby. Loved being the baby. Big age of difference. Five years between my brother and me, six years between my sister and me. So what? they were Irish twins pretty much. And then a big gap for me. So I am the special one. Were you close, close family? Yes, very. very. Um, did you like school? Yeah, good girl. Uh, second, me. secondary school. Yeah, and did. were you good in school? Yeah, school came very easy to me, forever. Really? Yeah. Love going every day. Didn't mind going. Just the, the academic stuff always came real easy to me. I didn't. I just remember when I was very small, randomly knowing how to read and knowing how to spell and not having to do anything like that, and just. I just got the academic stuff very easily. I didn't have to really think about it. And that kind of continued with me into secondary school pretty much, yeah. So that was always kind of grand. Never found it too hard, which I think is easier when you're going through school if you're not finding the academic stuff mm. difficult. So Friends? Yeah, good friendships. I was young starting. I started at four, so I stayed back when I was in second class because the other girls were kind of running circles around me, my mother felt. I was kind of finding things out a bit soon and stuff. So stayed back, made a good group of friends and yeah, would still be friendly with a few of those now today, but not that When you were them. in, I always wondered when I was in school, you know, people that were academically like mm. ahead and they always kind of knew what they were going to do. Like when they were in secondary school, go, I'm going to college, I'm going to be. Like they kind of had more of an idea. Yeah. Were you like that? Not really. No. And I still don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. So what did you <laughs> decide you were going to try and be when you were in college? So I didn't really decide anything initially. So when we were doing the, you know, you're trying to decide what you're going to do and you're put on your CAO form and all that kind of jazz. And I didn't give uh, monkeys at that point. I was like, I don't care. Um, my boyfriend at the time was in Limerick and he was the year ahead of me. And I was like, I'm just going to Limerick. I don't care what I do. So I put down a few different things and I got my second or third choice I think so my first degree I ended up doing um this random course called international insurance and european studies what is that an absolute mickey mouse made up course that like Did you know what it was? no longer exists no really I had the clue so I was just like sure I'll go I'll do this and I'll see what happens day one started college knew nobody met a group of friends that day four of us hooked up together still great friends 20 something years later oh, that's cool. that we met the first day of college um, so it was just this random course, honest to God, did some insurance stuff, doesn't exist anymore, and did Spanish. So went to Spain for six months. So that was good. That's cool. Yeah, went to Spain, lived our best lives for six months, didn't go to college, just chilled around, read, drank, and ate. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was a good crack. So when you passed this college course and you this, <laughs> this college course yeah this fictional college course for four years yeah. of your life <laughs> and you're there thinking now mammy and daddy I know this stuff costing us a fortune but now I've decided to go do something else 
So I didn't initially. I worked in insurance for quite a while, actually. I worked in Galway and Hibernian for a year or two. And then I went back to Limerick and I worked in a broker for a few years um, called Power Insurances in, in Limerick. And best times of my life. Probably still, I would say, the best job I ever had. The crack, the people. We just... We loved it. Like we loved every day going to work. We went out a lot. We were having a great time. And then I don't know what came over me. At one point I was like, do you know what? I think I'll, I think I should go back and do teaching. I think that would be a good step for me next. What age were you? I stage? was about 24, I'd say, ish. Um, so I actually met my, I was, I was laughing because I was path through Shannon Bridge today and we would be on the Shannon a lot. My parents have a mm. boat. So we go up and down the Shannon and I love all these little towns. I love Lucas there in Shannon Bridge and all those places. They're mm. great crack. And I remember saying to my dad, you know what, dad, I think I'm going to go back and uh, do teaching. And he's like, I fucking told you to do teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. All that money you're after no, costing me. He's Could have bought a bigger boat, bitch. I know, yeah, he's real old school. So he's like, school teachers, great job for a girl is to be a school teacher. Because yeah. you have your time, it's a nice job, and you get home, and you have your holidays, and it's good money, and you get your own some great advice, you know. So, but he told me this all the time. I was like, no, no, I don't want to be a teacher, no way. So, anyways, I went to him, and he was like, go on, anyways. I went back and did my Hibernia course. So it's like eighteen months, I think it was at the time. Back and did that. Worked at the same time, still in the broker, and then yeah, became a teacher. So primary, was, yeah. Yeah, um, and I was really shocked when Did I you went. Like kids, to, to like kids. I always loved children. Yeah, and I always had a real bond with smaller kids, like my cousins and stuff like that. I would always get on really well with them and being good with children and playful and all that kind of thing. But I honestly, one of the things that really shocked me when I went in to do my first teaching practice. And I'd always been good at things. So, mm. you know, put me, give me any sort of a job. And I learn it fast. You know, I'm a fairly fast learner. So no bother to me. And I couldn't believe how hard teaching was. In what I way? It was just, I just was like, oh my God, I'm actually shite at this. I couldn't believe that I wasn't able to even control the class or. Oh, it was, it was you know, the handling yes, of the little humans. Da- yeah, standing up there in front of them all, trying to teach them things, trying to te- get all their attention. I was useless at it for ages. And I was so shocked, honestly. I was like, God, I thought I was just going to be a breeze. You know, I was gonna, I'm going to be good at this because I'm good with kids. But it took me a long time to build any sort of confidence as a teacher. I re- and it really did shock me genuinely. I was like, this is going to be grand. I'm going to be finished really early every day. I'm going to be like out in the tiles with my friends. But it wasn't. Um, and it took me a while to kind of get used to that. So I did that. And then I was living in, the Lim- in Limerick at the time. Just when I, yeah, there's another whole long story. <laughs> besides, besides, thing. Go besides, ahead. My, <laughs> besides my career. Um <laughs> I've been living in Limerick at the time and I was going out with the person for a long time. Just when I finished my Hibernia, we got engaged. And uh, so I did, we got engaged, planned a wedding, and then I went teaching. Um, and I came out subbing for a while. You know, everyone goes out subbing. And I was just thinking on the way up, you know. When you're subbing, can you be sent anywhere? Yeah. Or is so it just around? Around. So you'd have your area, you'd kind of ring the centre and go, look, I'm available. Or you'd throw around your CVs or whatever. Um, so I had done that kind of getting jobs here and there. And my friend actually in Limerick always says to me, you know, 
you're the luckiest person I know. Like if you were to fall out of the sky, you literally land on marshmallows. Do you know, I'm someone mm. like that. Like, you know, when there's like sliding doors, things tend to go my way. Yeah. I'm very lucky and they still do in fairness. So I was at my little nephew, my godchild's Kristen, 13 years ago, because he's 13 since October and a school rang me and we were just at the Kristen. I was his godmother and we we're ready for a good session now. So we were, I was like, yeah, I can't wait. You know, <laughs> we're going to go out later. And, uh, School rang me and said, will you come in tomorrow? So it was a Sunday. It was a Monday. That's my and Sunday And I was fought. like, will I? Will I go in there tomorrow? It was back down in Limerick. I was in Mayo for the Kristen. Um, and I just went, oh, I will. I'll go down. And it wouldn't be a choice they would have normally made now at that age in my life. I would have normally gone for the few drinks. But I said, no, look, I'll go down. And I'll do the few days. The principal was out for a couple of days. Ended up that the principal stayed out for the rest of the year and I was a learning sport and resource and ended up that that following September, I got a permanent post in, in that, that school. That's cool. Yeah. So I got so lucky because they just weren't handing out permanent posts at that time. So I was blessed with that. So when you get, for is there a big difference in the money when you become permanent? It's not a big difference with the, well, I suppose you, it is because you go on your pay scale. Do you know what I mean? Your pay scale starts moving up. Um, whilst the sub money is brilliant, you know, you don't get paid for your holidays and all that kind of thing. So you only you want paid to kinda, when you're there. Yeah. So you want to kind of, depending on your contract, but you want to kind of get on the ladder, get the pay scale moving up. And I mean, teaching, in my opinion, is very good money. Um, even when you're starting off, like, you know, it's very good. So I worked there for a few years, got my dip done. That's a big thing Let's when start. you're a teacher. So you have this kind of year where you're supervised. Basically, you need to pass the dip in order to make sure that you're... Someone uh, comes in and exactly. watches you. Yeah. Are the dicks? Mm, some of them are. It depends on who you get. Um, my lad wasn't now. Fairness to him, he was very nice. He'd come twice. You never know when they're coming. So every day you're like, are they going to be coming today? So the further on it gets on in the year, you're like, it's happening soon. So, you know, you're trying to get your classroom fabulous. You're trying to make sure the kids, you know, are good. Your class, classroom management is good and all that. Um, but he came a couple of days to me and he was sound in fairness. Did it tell you before they come or do you just arrive no, one no, morning? No, you arrive one morning and the next thing you're, someone f runs down to your glass and like, he's here, there's a man with a briefcase in the car park and you're like. <laughs> and you say to the kids, listen, you little shits, this is an important day. Listen up. <laughs> I will Bobby, give you. <laughs> you're a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> All the things that you say you won't do, you know, the bribery and the yeah. threatening, you're like. I, we will have the <laughs> biggest party ever. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I had first at the time and they were adults. I had 32 of them, but they were fab. They were a really lovely class. So I, I didn't mind that at all. Got on well and passed that. So I was happy out with that element of my life, I suppose, anyways, at the time. Um, but during that time, the year of my dip, I need to rewind a little bit. I got engaged, we got married, um, we separated about 11 months later. Um, no kids around? No kids, no children, got married, I was very young, I was 28, we had a great old couple of days in uh, Salt Hill and then in Mayo, great time. And then afterwards, just kind of reality kind of hit, basically, and I was like, oh jeepers, is this, have I made the right decision? Is this what life is going to be now? And unfortunately, the decision was that, no, actually, I didn't want that to be life for the mm. rest of my life. Um, so uh, we ended up separating. And I that dip year, 
I had moved out from Limerick because we had been living together, obviously, and I lived in Killaloo in um, County. Is it on the kind of clear tip border uh, for the year on my own in an apartment? So I would rock down to Killaloo every Monday morning early and I would rock home to Mayo every Friday evening uh, straight after school. So that was the year. Um, so it was kind of tough living on my own. And oh, I remember I had no, um, I had no internet and I had no telly for about the first six weeks. I thought I was going to go bonkers like it. I just obviously wasn't in a great place myself. So it was tough. Like it was a tough year, but got in, through in it. A, a, from a loneliness point of view or just not knowing what you wanted to do? No, I was lucky because I had the job and I, the thing with the permanent job as well, everyone gets so stuck on this. Like, it's like you can never leave, you know. If you get a permanent job, never. You're never going to leave that. And I really did want to get my dip done. So it was a big decision to kind of stay down there and not just leave it all and run home to my family hmm. and my friends and the people that loved me because I didn't have many people left in Limerick because obviously when you, you know, you separate from somebody, you separate from nearly everybody that yeah. you know. Um, So... It was tough, but um, it was good, I think, because I was never a person, and I still am a hectic. I'm not, <clears throat> I was never a person really that I'm not great at being on my own. I like company. I like people. It kind of fills me up. So nearly being on my own and living on my own was a good thing for me to kind of sit with for a while and just sit with the feelings and sit with the rottenness of it. Um, Get to know yourself. Yeah, a bit better. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of tricky. And I had a whole other kind of realm of mental health issues <laughs> going on since I was 15 anyways, because I've had eating disorders since I was 15. So they, whenever my life would go out of control, the eating disorders would definitely rear their heads again because that's the only this. thing I could control exactly. So that was always kind of tricky to manage. Um, Did your family want you to come home? Were they worried about you up there? I don't know. Do you know what it is about our family now? And I don't know if people might resonate with this. We're very bad at saying what we really feel. So, and still. So if my parents do something that annoys me, we might, you know, talk to each other about it. But we wouldn't dare say it to them now. Um, and the same with them, really. They wouldn't really say it to me. And my sisters and brothers wouldn't really say it. My brother wouldn't really say it to me either. They'd be talking to each other about how worried they were about me. But not you. But not me. So I didn't really know if they were or not. The odd time they'd say is a small thing, but very rarely, to be honest. And even still, they wouldn't, do you know. And my friends wouldn't either, really. Not much. So you were kind of living with it on your own and just trying to manage it as best I could, really, which I wasn't managing it at all. But So what made you call it a day? With the eating disorders or... Oh, yeah, with both. Or which? Eating disorders. You never call it a day, really. So I would always say you're in, I'm in recovery from them, but they never go away fully. Um, so I'd still have to be very mindful of not letting myself slip back into just habits that are no good for me. Like weekly, daily, sometimes I would have to go. And the question I'm asking myself these days is, do you know, if I feed myself properly I'm going to be here well to watch my children grow up and if I don't I won't be 
and that's the reality of it. Like if you don't fuel yourself with the things that are going to keep you healthy. So I'm like me not eating or going down to 800 or whatever calories a day is no good for me long term. So what I'm trying to just get into my psyche is that, you know, I'm fueling my body so that I can be here to watch my children grow up. That's one of the most important thing to me. I think you'll, mm. you know, you want to see them yeah. do the things, whatever they do. I don't give a shite what they do. I don't care if they get married or go to college if you want them. I just want to be there to witness it. So that's the thing I'm really trying to stick with at the moment and to get into my head, you know, when I am healthy and when I can mind myself, then I am going to make my life longer. And that's something that's more important to me. I think even more so. I turned 40 there in June. And uh, I you don't think, look it. Thanks very much. <laughs> and I think that it's become more important to me since then, you know, to just be trying to mind myself a bit more. So back then when you didn't have any kids and that wasn't your driving force to keep yourself in check, what was? I didn't really have one. They were just inspired, like going in and out of them all the time. From when I was 15 until I was in my early 30s. Even, you know, after that as well. Do you know if I'm being really honest? <laughs> Were you ever um, really sick with it? Yeah, I would have been very sick when I was initially, we'll say when I was a teenager, when it kind of went out of control first. And I mean, it's, it's a slippery slope, no more than having a few drinks and then, you know, having a drink on a Friday and then I might have a drink on a Friday and a Saturday and then I might have a drink on a Wednesday. Do you know what I mean? It kind All of, these things sneak up on you. They do sneak up on you and you have to be kind of reflect on them, don't you? And go, mm. is this serving me well or is it not? Um, so, do you know, it just starts off very easily. Like I stopped eating my lunch at school stage, you know, and then it started like, oh, I kind of like that because you start losing weight, obviously. And the thing, I suppose, is I went through a phase when I was a small girlin. Um, when I put on weight, so I was about eight, nine, ten, and that'll never leave me because there people commented on me all the time. You know, kids are cruel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you know what though? It wasn't the kids. Really, it was the grown-ups. Go away. And this still happens now. People think they have a right to say, Do you know, she's a fine girl. Look at that. Big bond. Oh, oh, this fine girl really used to get me big bond. You, oh, you'd be go, you'd be doing well feeding that one. Do you know, she wanted to keep the food in the house for her jeepers. And just remarks, comments, looks, things like that. And so uh, would, you, would you think that that kind of thing is driven more by people that you know and meet every day uh, commenting or social pressures? Oh, for me... At that point, it would have been people that you know and meet and like your parents, friends or your aunties or people like that. Or, you know, you'd be trying on something for an occasion and you just see the looks and you're going, you know, <laughs> she doesn't look great in that now kind of a thing. And I remember these things. Wow, um, wait, that's mad. Yeah, yeah. And then my mother as well, we lived in a generation of dieting. You know, she's been on a diet every day since I know her. Um, so Your mum was? Yeah, yeah. She still is. Um, my granny still is on a diet. She's 91. Every Stop. single day that of my life, my granny has been on a diet and she will be on one until the day she dies. You know, they go on this, I'm slimming, I'm doing this. Um, so I think that's something that we need to change going forward, you know. Um, there's so many things I'd like to change generationally from, you know, my parents' generation to our generation. Um, but this is one of them where it's like, you know, Stop commenting on the kids. 
you know, my sister would have had it, you know, with, with her child as well. People saying, you know, oh, my violent, you know, this kind of thing. And you're like, really? They can hear you, you know, and that does have an effect. And anytime I bring this up on my Instagram, so many people send me messages and say, I remember someone said to me the day her sister used to sing Nelly the Elephant to her because um, her mother told her to, because she put on weight um, and all this thing. And it really does have an effect and impact on you growing up. So we had the Weight Watchers thing then as well. So myself and my siblings used to go and take the money <laughs> for the Weight Watchers. So, you know, you'd see all the ladies coming mm. in, you'd, you know, do the, we just love doing that. We'd do the money and give them and mom would go in and do the thing and she'd do the talk. And uh, they'd all be delighted with the weight loss that we're getting up in the scale. So it was very prevalent in our house, I suppose, you know, and she used to love this line um, <laughs> every week. She'd say, good night, ladies, and good luck. And I hope to see a lot less of you next week. Oh, and they'd all go, ha, ha, ha. And they all laugh every single week. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. That's like in Little Britain. Yeah. Fatty, fatty, bum, bum. <laughs> I swear to God, this is her closing line every week for years. And they'd all, ha, ha, ha. And off they'd go out the door. Um, delighted with themselves after, you know, getting weighed. And, you know, it's mad really, like, to think what people would be putting themselves through. Um, and how restrictive all that kind of thing is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's not a healthy way to live, to be restricting your food all the time. We want to have a nice relationship with food where we can make good decisions and like no food is good or bad. Like you just eat what you want to eat and you try and make good decisions as much as you can. That's what I'm trying to instill in my children anyways. Um, so I suppose that all kind of led to possibly me, you know then realize but it was a teenage thing as well it was me being becoming aware of my image becoming aware of my body you know you're getting boyfriends and you're becoming more aware of being having to take your clothes off <laughs> as you get older um and all of that so it was all a mixture of different things so I suppose yeah I did get pretty sick for a while I would have taken most of what we now call fifth year off school because I just wouldn't have been well enough to go in so I would have been seen like a psychologist and they would have put me on antidepressants and stuff. But even at that stage, like my father would be a big believer in like, we're going to take that shot. Um, so I didn't. So they gave me them and he was like, you should be fucking taking that. I was like, okay, I won't, I won't. Because <laughs> he just told me not to. Um, but went to psychologists, didn't like her at all. And it was awful. It was so shaming, like the way they did it then. She'd like bring me into this room and she made me take off all my clothes, like just down to my underwear. And get up on the scales in front of my parents. And she'd be like, look at your hip bones. Do you think they look nice? Look at you. Do you think that looks good in the mirror? And I was about five stone nine at this point. Like, and I'm about five foot in five. In front of your parents? Yeah. Absolutely mortified me. And I didn't like being naked. And I was always obviously freezing because I was so thin. And it was horrible. It was a horrible experience. That's, and I didn't think that. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... I went to her about twice in Galway and I never went back because even they didn't like her and they were like, Jesus Christ, I don't know if this is going to do her any good. Like, do you know? Ah, but it was a hard time, do you know? My poor dad, I, I always go think back to my dad and I think that's what made me kind of change initially because, you know, I'd be sitting there and they'd have to give me certain foods certain times and I'd literally be sitting over whatever they would give me and bawling, crying because I just didn't want to eat it. Like, bawling. My dad would be sitting there looking at me like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck are we going to do with this one? But he'd be so upset, do you know, and we, he wouldn't be a very, a man that would get upset. And he talked to a friend of his and he came home and said, he said, 
no, he said, just, you just have to be there and sit through it and see how you get on. Um, and something just clicked in me around that time. And I was like, you know what, this isn't the life I want. Like I was lying on the couch. I wasn't allowed to be out with my friends because I wasn't strong enough and all that. So I was just like, okay, I'm getting up and I'm doing something about this. And I did. And I started eating for a while and got kind of well and whatever. And then it was just then like a yo-yo then for years. Um, between, I suppose, restricting and then bulimia as well. I would have had that issue for a long time. But thankfully, that has not been an issue for since before my children were born, thankfully. But, uh, yeah, it's a tough old road. It's mad that, you know, at the start when I'm talking to you, it's like, yeah, breeze through school. <laughs> Everything <laughs> seems easy. Well, no, you don't have to scratch too far the surface from anyone to no, see. No, like, like, you know, I think that's the same thing with everybody, David. Like, everyone has their own story, don't uh, they? We all have this thing that happened to us. And... My eating disorders don't bother me in the slightest and I don't, in that I don't mind talking about them. Sometimes they th people think it's this big taboo thing, you're like, oh my God, she had anorexia. Like, it's grand, like, it's fine. I don't mind talking about it. I think if you talk about it, then people are less likely to have this big taboo over it mm. and you're able to say, because like people would say, you know, if you're recovering from alcohol or drugs, you'll be, you know, I'm recovering, I'm doing really well. So I think people who are coming out of eating disorders are really afraid to mention it because I think sometimes people get a bit embarrassed and they don't know what to say. And they're like, oh, this is awkward for me. You know, do we still eat together or whatever? And they're like, of course you do. You just have to support the person and ask every now and again, you know, how are you as a massive question that sometimes we're afraid to ask with meaning behind it? Not, you know, not like, well, mm. what's going on? Do you know, like, like, how are you? Like, how are you doing? And, well, a lot and of people leaves, don't have that and person to ask them. space for an answer. Do you know what I mean? Mm. We ask it. And, oh, good. Good. Tipping away. Yeah. Do you know, all those types of things. My brother always says, but something like fabulous, absolutely fantastic, fantastic. And he could be having the most shite week. I do that as life. well. I do what, I'm only playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God. But I suppose you'll only open up as well to somebody you trust who will answer that, ask you that question and, and you'll open up then and try and give some information. But it's a tricky one. But I do think, yeah, everybody has their story. Um, when you were teaching kids, mm. would you'd be looking for stuff like that with kids. Would you be looking at kids saying, I wonder are they going through what I did? See, with the smallies, you wouldn't come across it much with the small children. Um, now, it has become more prevalent in like eight-year-olds, nine, 10, 11, unfortunately. Because I think it's because of the image thing and the social media thing and all that kind of stuff as well. I think kids are looking at different things. Um, but you wouldn't really see it too much in the primary school. Not too much. Um, but I would, I'd always be interested in looking and seeing what people would be doing. Yeah. Cause I probably think that I could call it if people were having an issue. Um, there was one time when I did flag it with a parent, but they were not. Pushback. Yeah. Yeah. But that was fine. That was my job done. I'm all just, you can do is say it. And all you can do, I think, if you are flagging something with anybody, you, a parent, in, in with parents or teachers or SNAs or anyone that I'm teaching around them, it's just being curious, you know. It's not like you want to have a conversation with somebody, not a confrontation. So you're like, I'm just wondering, or what do you think about? Like, or I'm just curious to think what's going on with that. 
and then they can reflect on it. Rather than you going like, John is little fucker. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can be like, I'm just wondering, there's this behavior and I, I'd love to know what you think is underneath that. And then they can be reflecting on it and going, hmm, I actually never thought about it, but maybe it's this. And you're like, ah, oh, there we go. So people, I think that's a great way to work with parents or teachers or SNAs because I've been working with them all. So what made you change your career again? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, so did the teaching, spent the year in Limerick, got very lucky again, fell on marshmallows and I got a teacher exchange um, between Limerick. I was working at school in Clare actually. And, Is um, there a website that does that? So no, there is like, you go on, you put your name on a list. It's, it's really difficult to get. Like, I don't really know many other people that got it. And you put your name on a list and you say, I'm in Clare. I want to move to somewhere in Mayo and Galway. And the other person, you look through the list, there could be 300 people on it and you see, does anybody suit your criteria? We did suit, we matched. That's deadly. Bumble for teachers. I know, absolutely <coughs> mad. So this girl wanted to move to Limerick to her husband and I wanted to move closer to home. So she went down to my school and we keep her permanent position. You're allowed to do it for five years. So we were elected for five years to me at that stage. Seemed like a lifetime. So I said, sound, I'll go up there into school in Hedford. And that was about half an hour for me. So it was perfect. Uh, went there and taught there and uh, loved it. Nice little small country school, real sound, lovely little kiddies and principals, best principal ever. I was always tormenting them. Um, and yeah, loved that. was able to be at home then. I lived at home for a while and uh, that was mighty. And then I met my current husband, <laughs> husband number two. <laughs> <laughs> And um, then where'd you uh, meet him? So I would have known James for years when we were younger of him, like from afar. Um, and I would have been kind of like, yeah, James sound, you know, and he said the same thing about me. He's like, you know, yeah, the lads be saying, you know, your one's nice or whatever. And he was like, mm, she's grand, you know, kind of thing. She's, I don't know, wouldn't think much for kind mm. of a job. And I was the same with him. And uh, then we just came across each other, actually. We started sending a few messages online and I commented something smart ass, probably knowing me on his, some something he'd put up. And next thing we just started chatting and one thing led to another and then went on a date or whatever. And yeah, now we're married with two children. And so we had the two kids. What age are the kids? Elsie is eight and a half. And Freddie is seven and a half. They're not Irish twins, but they're a year and six days between them. So very close. Freddie was a surprise. Um, <laughs> we had planned to have them close together, but... Uh, not that close. Not that close. But you know what? It worked out perfect um, in the end. But you weren't saying that and when Freddie came and he was like a month old and you're in the depths of it. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was really tough now. You know yourself. When mm. they're both babies, it was hard going. And I found, and you know, more than the teaching, I thought that, you know, I was a really good auntie, like really good. Loved my nephews, three nephews, little dotes, doted on them, I was brilliant with them. So I thought, motherhood, sound, I've mm. got this. You know, it's going to be easy. Yeah. I'm such a good auntie. And then great with then kids. Then the intensity starts. <laughs> and then you have a child and you're like, oh my God, this is awful. 
And I found becoming a mother so hard just because I didn't expect it to be hard. So I did really struggle. And with Elsie, it wasn't so bad. And there's this thing called matrescence everyone's talking about now. It's like you go through your adolescence and then you go through matrescence when you become a mother. Um, and it is really difficult for the dads as well. Um, and I think that's under oh, overlooked sometimes, you know, how difficult it is for the dads. Because James found it really tough as well. You know, and it's tough in your relationship. It completely changes everything, mm. you know. Um, found that really hard. And then, of course, she was 16 weeks, got pregnant with your man. And I was like, oh, gee. And I didn't know he was a boy, but I got pregnant with Freddie. And I honestly cried when I did the pregnancy test. I was I was upset. Like, <laughs> I had planned a holiday. We were going on holiday at Christmas. And I really wanted to go on my holiday and, you know, try for the next yeah. baby. Then, yeah, you know, yeah. have a drink and you had relax. A plan. I had a plan. Um, so it ended up then that second year when I had Elsie. I was pregnant the same amount of weeks pregnant, you know, so at Christmas I was 17 weeks pregnant and so I was like, oh geez, it's like Groundhog Day, but now I've got another baby to mind as well. Um, so then little Mr. Cutie Pants arrived and I was delighted with him, had a great, um, great time with his birth and everything. I was so happy after he was born and then about 22 hours after I had really bad hemorrhage after he was born and it honest to God frightened the living daylights out of me. I don't think there's anything that's ever frightened. I thought I was going to die because James was gone home. He was there and I just started just hemorrhaging. Um, and it was so long after the birth and I was on cloud nine. There's all adrenaline and everything. So this big emergency and um, I got so, so scared and he got taken away and there was nobody there at me. So it was awful. And then the next day my mom came down. It took me a while to recover from that. And I think sometimes. The fright. You, yeah. I really like I couldn't believe that it happened to me. Do you know that kind of way? And I, I got such a fright. Like it really was life flashing before your eyes stuff. And I think sometimes with, you know, birth delivery and, and all that kind of, it's underestimated how much it takes out of you. Because mm. it's hard. Like, it's no, it's, it's no easy feat. Even though, do you know what I always say? I would prefer, I think, to do it than watch it. Genuinely. I think it's a hard thing. I'd say it's, I don't know, but I'd say it's a very hard thing to watch. No, well, for me, it's the helplessness of it. Yeah. It's different. Now, the first time I done it with Vicky. You're seasoned. It was it. like, uh, I, I just, I, I, I couldn't get my head around. I, I felt like my wife was just a piece of me. It was like, why <laughs> everyone's just doing stuff to my wife here. <laughs> I, I don't like this. Yeah. And the nurse gave out to me as well. Oh, no. Yeah. Because um, I didn't know what to do. You know, as of a man. you didn't. You don't expect it. You know, oh. and it's an amazing thing. But, you know, it's all emotional when it happens. But they took the baby out and I walked over with the baby I'm looking at. And you know the part where they have to pull out? The placenta? Yeah. Yeah. I walked, I turned around just as they were doing that. <laughs> and I went, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and and she was there. And I was there. Is that her fucking lung? <laughs> and then the nurse goes, just shut up. Just turn around there. I didn't know what was going on. No one told me. No one told me about that. <laughs> no I frightened shit out of me. I said, what the I fuck know. is that? <laughs> Do you think it's wrong if the father decides not to be in the room? Ah, uh, you have to be. Just to be there. I, 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 look, I don't know. I'm not professional. I think as a man, your job is just be there. Just be at her Just head. be there. Just be at the, her head. Yeah, and listen to the abuse. Because <laughs> okay. it's your fault. Yeah, because I've always been, I know, under the impression that uh, I have no interest in being in the room. Ah, uh, you'll say that. You'll do whatever you're told. I don't know. I suppose it's it's a decision for you to make as a couple, I think. 
so if if your if your partner really doesn't want to be in the room and you think as a woman that you'd be more comfortable with your with somebody who actually does want to be there or is able to be there, then maybe that's a decision you've made together. When but I go to the dentist, I want James, Vicky with me. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel terrible. She tells me you have to go in your own day. Does she get you a lollipop after? I do feel like something like that, <laughs> but I don't like being on my own. No, I get that. Though. I have to and have Vicky okay. with me with stuff. I guess just because we're grown ups doesn't mean we have to be grown up all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes we do need support. I think it's good that you can ask for it. Yeah, do you yeah. know? Does Vicky go with you everywhere? Does she? Yeah, yeah. That's all cute. Yeah, even if I'm getting shoes for stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I hate going anywhere with me on. I love when Vicky's with me. I feel better. Even though I'm a grown man. Even that's though a... nice though. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I bet that's a nice part of your relationship. It is, it is. It's cool. Okay. Although it's, it's, know, it's, I don't know how she gets out of the house with all the kids. You have to bring everybody. Know. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough mm. getting out of the house. She wants yeah. to have another now. Does she? Yeah. I will watch think. I'm de- I'm mortified. Why? She's mad for you. I am <laughs> drowning with kids. It's you like are. there's so many of them. And if I had, if I was a millionaire, I'd have loads of them. But it's like, I'm always working and it's like Vicky has to do but all she, the work. she must be Wonder Woman. I don't know how she does it. It doesn't phase her. Um, I don't know. There's times when the kids are fighting and you know, she'd be stressed out. I get phone calls. Like, I get phone calls and there's nothing I can do. But I, yeah, I but listen to Yeah, but she probably just needs, you, needs to vent. When you come home, you may have a word with Clark <laughs> and Lily. Because they fight. I thought it was the, the small kids. It's when they get bigger. Oh, it's, it's when they get bigger. It's like the fighting. It's, they, oh, they're they so nasty to each other. Yeah. Bickering and fighting over and And the time. minute you do that and they're all up each other's arse like, and they go, hmm, Daddy, Mammy, you're terrible. Yeah. If you do have another boy, what DC name are you Jesus going to Christ. pick for them? Um, Steve. <laughs> Yeah, Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> so you had the second baby. We digressed. Sorry. Had ready. And then that that time after he was born, we really struggled with he was he was a tricky baby, to put it lightly. He had silent reflux and he didn't sleep and I was at the end of my tether with oh, him. That's tiring. And <laughs> Freddie was born <clears throat> the thirtieth of May and my birthday is the tenth of June. And James proposed on my birthday, just the 11 days or whatever after he was born. So I was on one side going, really? <laughs> now, now no. you're doing it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> now I was delighted as well and it was lovely and Elsie was there and he was there. And How was, did he do it? It was fabulous. He was just at home. We were at home and it was my birthday and he he wrote um, the birthday card and in the birthday card he said, um, Elsie, me and, or it was from Elsie, we'll say, and he said, me and Freddie are just wondering, will you marry our daddy? Ah. And it was lovely. That's nice. Really nice, yeah. And uh, he turned around, he was down on one knee and all of that jazz. So it was really lovely. Um, so then that year we were planning the wedding as well. Um, so that was. Were you a bridezilla? No, no, I'm not a bridezilla. Big wedding? Uh, yeah, we had a big wedding. It was 183 people, I think. Um, Castagan, Sligo, it was lovely. And um, my first marriage was actually annulled. So we were able to get married in a church, which James was really delighted about because that was very important to him. So it was lovely to be able to do it. Um, and yeah, that was a tough year. <laughs> actually, when, the day, when I went to London with my bridesmaids to get my dress, uh, we said we'd go to London for a night for the crack. Um, and I was drowning in children at that point as well. So it was October and Freddie was in a nightmare. Um, so James was at home with the kids. 
And his mother, of course, was in to help because she's brilliant. And uh, we were in London and uh, we were having, we got the dress, whatever, having dinner, having a few drinks. And one of my, my best bestie took off for a second and she came back and she was all weird. And I was like, what's going on here now? Anyways, she kind of, I, I knew there was something going on, but that they didn't want to tell me. I had a couple of drinks. They're like, do you know what? We'll just leave it at call it a night now. And I was like, okay, boring. Um, but we went back and then on the plane home, they were like, um, James um, collapsed from exhaustion uh, last night. <laughs> <laughs> He's never living that down. Did he ever live that down, did he? He collapsed so, from exhaustion. So, yeah. So I was gone, obviously. Um, and he was at home and it's not even funny. Like, it's very funny. We can, we can laugh. It's a little like, funny. We can laugh at now. Um, and yeah, he was there with the kids, his mother, and he just was down the sitting room and he just collapsed. Like, and he, he did drop the baby, but like not bad, just kind of slid down off the chair and they had to get an ambulance and Elsie was in with my brother and it was all go. Um, and at the time, I suppose I was so tired and I was so wrecked and I was just like, oh my God, like, you know, I was just like, oh my God, I went away for one day. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't even hold a baby. <laughs> oh, God help myself. I did feel bad when I came home because like my sympathy levels were pretty low. Um, and on reflection, I could have been much nicer about that, but I definitely just was at the time going, oh God. Can I not go away for one <laughs> yeah. day? <laughs> yeah, God help us. But, um. Yeah, got married then. And then, do you know what? The kids just took over for ages and back to school and all that jazz. And it was awful busy. And I was just like, do you know what? Did you find it hard to go back to work? Mm, yeah, it was tricky going back. But I suppose it was nice because, you know, school wasn't too bad. I had a lot of support. His mom was great. So she would take them for me and stuff. So that was ideal. And then um, I decided, right, I need to do something for myself. What am I going to do? So I said, I'm a bright and intelligent person I'm going to go back and I'm going to do something that I have interest in I had interest in play therapy because I had worked with a girl in the school previous school in Clare who was a play therapist what and does that she mean? what does it mean yeah play therapy um so when children would have an issue um anything from a parental separation to a bullying issue self-esteem anxiety anything like that so play therapy is really for children age about between age three and twelve um, they would come to therapy and they would play out um, with the therapist, all sorts of things. And through the playing and the chatting and the therapeutic intervention, then things generally will get better. Oh. Like we go to talk therapy, they would say, you know, play is the language of the child and that's how they will get it out. So we would do all sorts of creative interventions to try and help and support children through that. So that's what I do now. So did a four-year master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy specializing in play with the Children's Therapy Center. Diploma after two years, master's after four, and, and I opened a private practice in Claremorris. So I work with clients aged between three and 18 now. So after 12, it would be like psychotherapy. So it could be any sort of issue from eating disorder to, you know, suicidal ideation. You could have loads of different things, self-harm, all of that kind of thing. Um, and... That's what I do currently in it's my hard. private practice. Like, are you are you seeing? Obviously, people are coming to you when they have mm -hmm. a problem. So you're seeing a lot of people with problems and kids with problems, which mm -hmm. we can't think of anything harder to look at. Is that? Yeah, but I suppose you're you're helping them. So that's the good thing about your job, you know. So you're being a facilitator of change, like, and you could be changing the trajectory of 
these little people's lives and hoping that they will live a happier life and be able to manage their big emotions and their feelings and move forward um, take steps in a, in the right direction after they leave you. Um, and they come for, it. it's very dependent on how long they come for, depending on the issue. Who sends them to you? So uh, parents usually would contact me and say, you know, I'm just wondering if this will be the right intervention for my child. So we'd start off with some parent consultations. So I would meet, if you came to me and said, look, um, do you know, one of the kids is having this kind of issue, whatever it may be. And we'll have a meeting and we'll go through all sorts of things. And without the child first? Without the child. So preferably with the parents um, if they are there and we'll have a chat. We'll go through all the issues. I'll tell you what I think and I will tell you if play therapy is the right intervention. And also if I have a connection with you as a parent because it's a kind of support that's going to be triangular between, you know, the parents and me and the child in the centre. So it needs to be, you need to feel a connection with me I suppose in order for me to be able to help your child as well because it obviously needs to flow very well so and I would also be gauging that for myself too you know am I connected with these parents do I feel that we would work well together do I think they will be you know that the process will work and they will be committed to the process is a really big one um so and we go from there then so in a say if, if the child is between three and seven or eight yeah no, I don't know what about it, but it, it has to be the parents that are causing whatever it is, or is that? Oh dear, <laughs> isn't that? No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's just nobody really um, says that. Out. Not necessarily. It depends. So some children will have experienced some sort of a trauma. You know what I mean? So it could be a medical trauma, or it could be something with friendships, or it could be whatever. So it's not necessarily that. But of course, along with the therapy, I would give a lot of support to the parents. So you know, what do boundaries look like? You know, What's how. That mean? Do you know, in your house, like, how do you manage boundaries? Do you know, is there punishments? Is there consequences? Is there whatever? Is there anything that I can support you with? What do you find in tough? What do you find in the most difficult things? So like, you might be like, the fighting. They're mm. driving me mad at the fighting. So we go through how are you managing the fighting. I give you some tools to try and help you to maybe look underneath what's behind the fighting and give you some things to try to see maybe can we help with the connection with each each the kids so that maybe their bickering isn't as much. And also realizing, I suppose, if it's bickering or fighting, that, you know, they're learning so much through that. Like they have to become problem solvers themselves. And sometimes when we sit back and we just wait a few more seconds with the bickering, they'll be grand and they'll be getting on like a house on fire you know, a few minutes later. So we have to kind of wait and see what's the point of escalation here? <laughs> when do I have to step in when they're going to start murdering each other or can I leave them to prob problem solve it? Do you know? Mm. So there's a fine line between when you jump in and when you don't. I think that's always like, if safety is an <coughs> issue, this would be my thing as a parent, I would think. So my most important job as a parent is to keep you safe. That's it. That's my most important thing to do. You're safe, you're safe. You've got a lot of people to keep safe, so <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> but it's like, if there's physical harm or words that aren't nice, they're my no-nos. Okay, so absolutely not. It mm. stops here. But that doesn't mean that if it ha when it happens, because it's going to happen because they're kids and they're going to try all sorts of stuff, obviously, because we all did it ourselves and that's how they learn. So if that happens, it's not that you punish them. You just step in with the boundary of like, what? No. This is stopping right here and right now. I will not let you talk like that or I will not let you punch her or hit her or do whatever. It doesn't have to be that then, you know, they get sent to their room and they get you. It doesn't have to be that. We're stepping in with the limit and the boundary and we're like, I love you both. You're not in trouble. Separate. And then they know they're both loved. They're not in trouble. Separate. Because 
what happens with siblings, I think, is there's so much comparison, you know, and we think we don't compare them, but we do. Hmm. No, your sister's doing that. You get up. No, yeah, your brother's yeah. doing that. How come you can't be more like your sister and are in there doing that? And they're like, sisters. So we end up sometimes causing some of the Rifts rivalry between them. ourselves mm. because they're feeling like you for her. Why are, why are, can I ask you a lot of questions? Sure. Because I'm hoping to be a, a real good daddy after this one. I'm sure you're a wonderful daddy. Um, why are they so different when they're raised the same? They're not raised the same. It feels like, like, I do be amazed at how. It feels like they Yeah, are. but you know when they're they're, they grow up in the same house, same parents, and they're all hugely different. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, do you think that you are the same parent? What's your first child? Lily. Lily. To Lily that you are to Clark. No. No. You're not, you see. You've changed as a person. You've learned and you've grown and you've changed. And that's why Lily is completely different. So we all fuck up our firstborn? No. And not to say that. The firstborn has a lot going for them too because they got all our attention. They got all our love. They got all of that. Often it's the second one that's because all the shit because you're like, I'm not putting up this from you. <laughs> and they don't get as much attention as the first one, actually. Um, so, you know, what? the world doesn't revolve around your second child. The world yeah. revolves around your first one. So they do get a lot of the bestie as well because you're fresh. Do you you're think, not so fresh on number five. Do, do you think that, because you see a lot of kids and mm. obviously you've studied that, are we, are we weakening people by mollycoddling? You can't mollycoddle. That's what I would say. Um... Like, you can't love your child too much. But as a parent, your your job, and I struggle with this, you know, because I love my kids mm. and I'd love to you do. give them everything they want and you want to do all these nice things. But as you become uh, more accustomed to be a parent, mm -hmm. your job is to not let them do all these things and your job is to make them live life without you. You know, my job is to make you tough enough that you can do without me. Mm -hmm. And it's a really hard thing to do. It's like you want to make them good, you eat sweets and, you know, you're going to rot your teeth. You have to, you know, your, your job as a parent is to, to say no a lot. Yeah. Do you find it hard to say no? No, I, I find it hard to come to terms with my job is to make sure these don't need me. Okay, so you want to build resilience. Yeah, kind of. And then me, Vicky's not. So I think as a, a couple, I think, I think, I don't know yet, they're not growing up. But I do always think that... Uh, my job is to make them tough and do things. And Vicky's job is to mollycoddle them. And I'm there. I, I, I want to do that job. <laughs> I'd rather do that, but I can't. But you're saying mollycoddling, molly coddling, but why do you? Okay. There's loads. Of, I've got so much in this now. <laughs> We're going to have to have another Zoom like parent consultation yeah. after this. And I'll go through everything with you. But first of all, you don't have to have that different role. And you're playful and fun and you do all sorts of lovely things with them when you have them. Yeah. I've seen you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like you're the big bad big bad wolf and she's all the lovely soft one. No, but you have to make them do things they don't want to do. Okay. What's your problem with that though? Um, because you, ha I just, you, you do don't you find want it to hard to sit with the feelings when they don't want to do things or? I find it hard to make them do things. I find, I find what are you making them do? Give me an example. Say like... Uh, you know, when they first start something and mm -hmm. they don't want to do, they like uh, say when they start rugby or start music lessons and then they decide after, oh, I'm not doing it. And you're like, no, you have to do it. Or they're nervous doing something or they don't want to go to a show or they don't want to go and do something and they're nervous and they're crying. I know. It, it could be any of them. And you're just, some be, like Lily, Vicky would be like, oh, maybe we'll just let, it. you know, 
don't mm. don't be upset in our neighbor. No, no, no. You have to do it. You know, your your responsibility is not let these down. You have to do it. Yeah. And you always feel like, oh God, I feel shit now after making them do that. I know, but how are they after it? Yeah, grand. Yeah. But it doesn't um it doesn't make it any you know, easier. I, I extrapolate from it. Yeah. Like, it's my job to force them to do things. Because when they get older, you're not going to force anyone to do anything. No, you're not. Um, it's a kind of funny one because it very much depends on the temperament of the child as well. As to whether you, you will push or how much you will let slide. Um, and for some of them, they need time to develop a little bit more before they will be able to go and do the things and do them in a way that feels safe. Because the last thing you want to be doing, I suppose, is putting them into somewhere where they just get so, feel so unsafe that they just never want to do it again. So there's a fine line. So I suppose when you're trying to get them to do things, you really just want to be validating their feelings like, look, I can know this is really hard. And I'm sure you do that. And I know it's tough. I know it's crap. I'm going to sit with you in that. But it's really important that we get to do it and you're going to feel mighty after, you know. So like for my child, for Freddie, I would have had to stop things and gone, okay, you know, this is actually too much for him developmentally right now. When he was six, especially, I was just like, you know what? I can see developmentally he's not ready. Sometimes we they need a bit more time to build the skills that they need in order to be ready to go and do the show and do the swimming and do the football. And sometimes we're throwing an awful lot at them as well. You know, and we're expecting so much from them. Sometimes we need to just come right back and go, okay, what would my seven-year-old self need now in this situation? Can you think, can you remember when you were seven? Yeah, can. Yeah. And we didn't have all the things that we have now. I know. Everyone's doing too much. Yeah, but you know what? That's not the kid's fault. And they all have too much. and They're all spoiled red rotten and that's not their fault either. And they all get things like that and that's mm. not their fault either. They get Netflix, they get things on demand. They don't have to watch ads. They don't have to wait for nothing. They don't have to wait for something on the radio and click record and play at the same time mm. everything is instant but that's not their fault that's the world that we live in so we need to try and obviously accept that but we need to try and teach them then in other ways to have delayed gratification about things and to not be given and like we often do fuel it we're like you're in the shop can I get this can I <clears throat> go on do you know you can or you can't or whatever or we think that we need to be going here there and everywhere and doing do you know, every experience is in booking a holiday and going to the fun center and doing the thing at the weekend. But actually, what fills them up the most is just time with us. Mm. Doing back all, sitting there and doing nothing. Like there's this thing called special time and it'd be hard for you to do it now because you have so many kids. Um, but you still would be able to get it done. And it's just where we take 10 minutes of the day, whatever day, it doesn't have to be every day. We put away the phone, which is a big thing. Mm. I think that we need to be modeling. So the phone goes away. And during that time, it's just me and you. That's it. Nobody else. So no other kid. No, and you get to choose what we do. And during that time, the parent doesn't ask any questions. Nothing like, how was school? How was this? Nothing. I'm going to follow your lead and I'm going to be with you. And being with your child will fill them up so much because they'll really feel connected. And when they feel really connected and safe and loved with us, they won't have the big behaviors as often because we'll be meeting their needs. So literally 10 minutes, you choose. And what generally you just say what you say. Oh, you've chosen that. Oh, cool. We don't take over the play, though. We have a habit of grown ups of taking over like, I'll, this is my, whoop, you know, and we'll take it over and do more. Don't do that. Just track it. Reflect on it. Say what you see. That's it. 
And then when the 10 minutes up, like, I love that. I love playing with you. I'm buzzing. Oh, Could I do that? Yeah. No, that's brilliant. Did you? Oh, good. Look yeah. at There you go. And that is like magic. So it is for them. It's just brilliant because they get the time, especially in a busy house, do you know, and it's great then if they can get the time with the other parent as well. So it's not just, you know, we can sometimes get into this cycle of the boys do the boy things and the girls do the girls things. Mm. If you have typical girls mm. and boys, which we have. So James and Freddie will do the soccer and myself and your one are knitting or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's important to kind of switch it around too, because they do need the time with both. Me, me and my friend were only talking about that during the week. It's like, um, it's a, more of a selfish thing. It's our therapy. You know, you come home. And just everything so mad. And I just love that, just sitting with the kids and they're just doing their thing. You know, yeah. like with Lily on the bed, especially with Lily now. Cause what age is she now? She's 12. Oh, yeah. Tough going. Yeah. So yeah. I just I just lay there while she's doing her homework. Eventually she warms up to me and she'll talk to me. And but it's that presence, isn't it? Yeah. It's just the being, I love that phrase, be with. Can you be with? And that's the thing about like if they're having a tough time. You know, we can we can become problem solvers for them an awful lot. And that's not how we build resilience in them. So, you know, they come home to you and they say, oh, daddy, John took my things and he kicked me in the yard. And, you know, it was awful or whatever. And our initial thing is like, you know, Johnny, we'll get him. <laughs> yeah, I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you'd be like, well, I tell you what to say to Johnny the next time. But actually, that's not what they need. And that's not how they build resilience. So they come home, they say the thing and you go, oh. Jeepers, that sounds really tough. That sounds like that was really hard and that happened. I'm glad you told me that. I'm glad you're talking to me about it. And I believe you. Do you know, sometimes they think people don't believe them and they have that self-doubt then as well because this thing was really hard for them. So what we want when we're building resilience is to be able to sit in the feelings with them, not to problem solve them. Because they learn how to do that themselves over time. Maybe later you might say, I wonder if Johnny did that again. Like, wonder what you could do. Again, getting curious. Don't tell them what to do. Wonder if that came up again. Think there's any way you could solve that. Mm, good idea, actually. So we're trying to build their own problem solving rather than be like, I'll tell you if you do. Mm. <laughs> you bait that for <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Because we can do that. So it's just the sitting with it and not the fixing. We don't have to fix. We just have to be like, oh, yeah, that sounds awful. Really bad. Like sometimes my two will come out of school and they'll both be crying before we leave the car park over different things that have happened. And I'll just like, let it all out. Let it out. Yeah, let's go. Big feelings happening. Lots happened at school today. It sounds really tough. I'm glad you're telling me. But I'm not going to fix all the problems because I wasn't there. I don't even know what happened. So we can just let them sit with it and let them get it out. And then we can move on with our day. And if it comes up later, maybe I'll get curious about it. But we do fix too much. And that's where we want to build resilience. It's um so when you walk around the whole world now, it's like doing a whole case study, isn't it? Yeah. When you see all these people and you can see the way they were reared and you can see how people are rearing kids now. Mm. This is another thing that kind of freaks me out. And I listened to this uh, podcast where there was this data from clinical psychologists all over the world and they were all about all the people our age and younger have so much social anxieties and everyone's so much more depressed and suicide rates are up and it's because of the easier lives that we're living as we grow up and not as many siblings growing up with each other because we don't know for sure if it's healthy to grow up with no siblings and not a lot of people have siblings now mm. so seemingly like uh, in human history uh the village reared the child not not the parents yeah 
So how how do you like do you ever think stuff like that or like what way do you... Okay. So in relation to parenting and us now and our generation, I think so we parent generally in the way that we were parented, or we would step very much away from that if we didn't like the way we were parented. Um, so I would parent very much the way I was parented. My mother was a very gentle parent. I am the same. Um, and you'll see different traits in yourself that you would have had from your own parents as well, because that's the way we were ingrained. That's the way we were raised. But there are things that I want to change for my children in the way that I was parented. There's this book going around last year, I think, the Colleen Hoover one. It ends with us. I think with a lot of things, with generational things, with parents, like it ends with us now. I actually don't want that that trend to continue into my kids' lives. Like the commenting on weight thing, you know, that's not going to be the diet and culture in my house. That's not going to be in my house. That's going to change. Um, <laughs> being allowed to have a voice would be a big one for me because I think, I don't know about you, but we were kind of raised, we'll go somewhere, you'll sit down, you'll shut up. And if anyone asks you, do you want anything? You'll say no. And we just sit there like, and be so good and we'd be in anyone's house and I remember <laughs> this core memory I have my uncle God rest him he's a real cross thick man like, just shut up you know he'd <laughs> be roaring at us all the time and we were having ham sandwiches one evening for tea I was only a small child and I can't handle like a sensory thing I can't handle if I have food in my mouth I can't have liquid in my mouth as well because it makes me feel sick and he was like, drink the fucking tea <laughs> <laughs> and I was eating a ham sandwich and I was like and I vomited and I, everywhere, and I was mortified and it has stuck with me forever because I was so scared that he was going to kill me, like, that I just drank the tea and then I vomited everywhere and then it was a big hullabaloo and then I felt even worse. Mm. So, you know, I don't want, we don't want children to do things out of fear anymore, I think. We don't want the kids to be doing things because they're scared, yeah. We want to be, them to be doing things because they are safe and because they trust in you and because they're trying out different things and having new experiences and having the big feelings. And I think the thing that we find it hard is to sit in the shitty feelings with them. You know, like crying can be a real trigger for us. Mm. So, you know, you can stop crying, like just stop it. But actually, we're like, let it out. Cry it out. Even if you're crying for nothing. What? what? They're not crying for nothing. <laughs> I don't know I could tell you a story Even last night Go on Jane Hit me up Jane, I love Jane. Jane Don't say a bad thing About Jane now Jane uh, is She is the cutest another Little level. thing I am so telling you Right She will cry She will cry Like that She's Deliberately divine. Just to get her brother In trouble And I'd see her smiling Sometimes I see her smiling Sometimes And last night I caught her She started roaring Crying because uh, Clark Clark Oh he's so he's huge He's such he loves his little he brother. He's so big. And as he's well. um he's so good with Bruce, you know. And he put on Bing for Bruce. And Jane wasn't even watching. Jane was playing with her makeup. And then Jane goes, You put back on my program. I want to watch Slime. And like Clark's just playing. He's like, No, Bruce wants to watch Bing. He likes the sound of it just when he gets tired. And uh she just started crying. I seen her. I seen her smiling at Lily, right? And I was there, you're fake crying. I'm not. And then I said, you're fake crying. And she started crying, going, I'm not daddy, I'm not daddy. And then she laughed. Uh, <laughs> but not in that instance then, obviously, because she is just going, ah, But now I nice. can't trust her. That's not crying. <laughs> so now she'll know be a when she's real crying and not real crying. Oh, she's That's only lad. trying it on. She's a little, she's, 
she's trying to find how she gets people to do things in the world for her. Oh, that's, she's you know, so funny. She is divine, though. Yeah. She could literally have her own page. Yeah, and she's, everyone she's so would love funny. it. She's so funny. They're, they're so cute at that age, though, aren't they? Yeah. Because they've got so much going on in their little heads. And yeah. I, I love it. They're adorable. Like, she's fabulous. I hurt my back this week. Yeah. And... Bruce wasn't well, so I get fecked out in my room. So I was sleeping in Lily's room last night and Lily, I had a sore back and the bed real low. And when I went to go to bed last night, she had a little note left on the bed saying, um, I was really tired. I had to go to sleep, so I couldn't help you get into bed, daddy. So I done as much as I could. She had the blankets folded over Aww. and she did a glass of water by the bed. Look at her reminding you. Oh, she's so good. That's so nice. Yeah, she's so good. And she helps me, doesn't she? In here, yeah, she all works all the time in here with me. And, like, and does uh, she love it? She loves it. Loves just hanging. So she's a very generous child. She's so good. Yeah, yeah. And does she let people walk over her, the other siblings, or is she stand strong? Um, Jane walks all over. Does she? Yeah, Jane walks over everyone. Jane, Jane is she the she? boss? She's the boss. Is yeah. she middle? No. Second well, last. She's second last now. Second yeah. last now, yeah. Well, she could be middle soon. <laughs> she could be. Oh, jeez, don't say it. Wasn't it Lily's birthday last year where she went up and got all the makeup and stuff, but she made sure to use like half of her money to buy Jane and Clark yeah. a present Yeah, yeah, she, she does that. Ah, oh, bless her. Yeah. No, she's, she's, so, really she's so good. Just and always has been. little temperament. Yeah. Yeah, that's because you gave her so much love and attention. She got, she, <laughs> oh, when, and when I think back of when you have your first child, you're so, oh my God. You're just even going anywhere. I remember the first time that you realize you have to go somewhere and you have all this stuff. Oh my God. It's just a minefield, isn't a it? A minefield. Even the first night you bring them home, you're like, what? What? Yeah. Where's the nappies and where's the thing? Yeah. What do I do with this child now? And they're piddling all over. I, I remember I the first time do. we brought Jane home. We were living in Mount Rat at the time and like, I had no money. Like, we, we I, I, I was so broke. Like, oh, and I was only after getting this new job. And Vicky said she, I was after coming off from work, splitting headache. Like I was driving from Galway to Leash and I was doing my 12, 13 hours on the machine and getting up at half four in the morning. I got home and Vicky goes, I think my water's after breaking. <laughs> so we went in, had the baby at five o'clock in the morning. I said, I got give out to by the nurse or whatever. And I got into the van and I drove all the way to Galway and I worked and then came back that night. And I was just getting no sleep. And I remember the baby coming home and Vicky was wrecked Do you, you know the first oh, time oh jesus tiredness like no and other. i remember the baby crying and i got up and i let her sleep and she fell asleep so i held the baby and the baby was crying had that colic thing and um she woke up around six and i had to go back down to work again jesus. never slept and i remember sitting in the machine going i i don't know if i can do this but I've, I've no money i'm gonna like my job as a dad is to support these and vicky wasn't working vicky didn't have a job at the time like she was doing cleaning and stuff like she was only training. I was, I'll never forget it. It was so hard. It was so hard. And I was there finding it so hard to connect with the baby because to me, it was just, I love it, but it's, you're not connected. You're there thinking, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to, it was just so stressful, so stressful. And then the first time that it just, I, I remember coming home one night and I picked her up. I think she would have been three months old or something. And I remember just smiling at me. And I remember just that, that was the, oh yeah. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. You know, and get... sometimes it takes a while as yeah. well. A lot of people say that, like, even for mothers, like, you don't often get, you don't always get that burst of You're love. too tired. You're, you're, you're. Oh, no. And I remember I saw Elsie and I was like, oh, God. Yeah, this is my responsibility. <laughs> it, you know? No, but I was like, is that what she looks like? 
Honestly, mm. it's like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> she's kind of weird. Um, and I just couldn't see past my like trauma. I was like, oh God, I have to bring this baby home. And oh, and, and you have to kiss goodbye to your old life. Like if if you if you're trying to live your single life when you have kids, you're not gonna enjoy no, it. No, you can't. But at the time, I suppose we wanted to kiss goodbye the single lives. I think that was too bad. But I was just like, oh my god, like I just I wasn't sure what to make of her for a while, until I yeah then was like, oh wow, okay, you're fabulous. I do love you. Yeah. <laughs> but it took a time. It took a while, and sometimes pe- people feel really bad about that. They're like, oh, I should love them straight away. But you're like, you've just met them as well. Mm. You know, it can take time to build that bond and relationships. That's okay. But with Freddie, I was like, <gasps> like literally my world exploded. How did you pick as that name? As soon as he came out. I, Freddie, is it? Yeah. Um, We were kind of toying with a load of different names. I had him for Elsie as well. And it, it's actually weird. I've reflected on this since uh, we had him. And my... Biggest fear as a child was Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. He was scary. And we have a sleep with that country. Oh, stop. So we have a we and they'd be letting me watch the horrors when I was about six. But anyways, so we had a we've a a very narrow hall in our house. This is where we still live now because we live in my home house, we'll say. And I used to imagine him coming up Scratching the walls. Yeah, with the thing every single night and I'd be nightmare and every single night running into the thing. And then I call my child Freddy. So I don't know. Did you only figure that out after? I I never thought of Freddy Krueger until only in the last couple of years. And I was like, Jesus, that's weird. Do I want to torment myself completely? <laughs> but no, he's gorgeous. I do love his name. It's Clark's favourite name. Clark has been telling me oh, all the time, Freddy. Do, you know, do you ever see that Friday night of Freddy's? Fight, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's into that. Yeah. Little robots. It's cute. It's hard picking names though, isn't it? Did you find it hard? Not me. <laughs> Not me. Vicky Vicky found it hard. Um, she picks the, the girls' names and I pick the boys' okay. names. So well, I, you're lucky you've got loads. I always know the names I'm going to call them. If I was to have 10 kids, it'd get a bit awkward when I'm calling them Hulk or something. <laughs> <laughs> what mistake do you think parents make most often? Oh, cheapers. No, oh, I wouldn't have one big thing, I don't think. Not trusting in themselves, maybe. And not like sometimes we're just too hard on ourselves. I think we're afraid to make mistakes. We're absolutely supposed to make mistakes. And that's how children learn. But the biggest thing I think that's important in your parent child relationship is this idea of rupture and repair. So you say you lose your melt, right? And you're like, what's that mean? Like, you, sorry, you lose your shit. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And you're just like, you know, you're shouting. And you're just like, oh, fuck that. And you just don't know. We all do. We all shout, we say things we don't want to mean, we don't mean, but the most important part, this is another one of the generational things I want to change, it ends with us, is that we come back and we own it afterwards and we say, I'm sorry, I shouted at you and I shouldn't have shouted at you like that and I'm going to try better the next time. I had loads going on, I had loads of big feelings in my body and I shouldn't have done that. And you, you say sorry to your child and you don't say but it was your fault because you were doing this and you can't mm. be doing that to your sister. There's no, but, 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 but you stop at the apology. And that's how we model empathy for them. That's how we like teach them to apologize because we do do things wrong and we own it. But I know from my parents, we never have gotten an apology, no matter what, still wouldn't. 
even if they could mm. say anything they wanted to us and they could shout and do whatever but it was like I'm right you're wrong doesn't matter I'm bigger you're small but we want to be able to have rupture and repair and teach them that that even, mammies and daddies say things as well and sometimes we say things that are horrible and it does affect their self-esteem as well on the inside and it's hard to take back you can't take back words but you're we all flip our lids and we say yeah. things we don't want to say so I'd like to do a nice little thing if you have done that with your child you know get them to say something that's not true so you know the dog flies in the sky or whatever and you say you know the thing that i said that's not true either do you know if you say like you're a little brat you yeah because we don't want to be putting those labels on them because if they don't feel good on the inside they won't act good on the outside and if they do feel good on the inside they will show you positive behavior on the outside so we don't want to be damaging them on the inside by our words our words are the most powerful thing that we have and i bet you, like everyone will have words that affected them badly or positively mm. um i always use that kevin McAllister analogy you know the home alone you know there are 15 people in this house and you're the only one who has to make trouble you know look at you did you little jerk and they're all like popping yeah. in his head and he's like i wish my family disappear we don't want our words being in our children's internal dialogue in a negative way we want them to think positively about themselves and to be able to believe that they're good people because when we believe we're good people, we will try to be good people most of the time. We won't always be, but we'll try. So that rupture and repair is something that I think that people should do more of. And we don't have to get it right all the time. Good enough is good enough. If we get it right a third of the time, attunement, do it all right. A third of the time we rupture, a third of the time we repair. And that cycle is absolutely fine. No such thing as perfect parenting. We're all going to do things we don't want to do, and that's grand. Is there a difference between um, females and male kids psychologically? Um, well, it's 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 just temperament and, and just individual, really. Do you know what I mean? So it's very dependent on the child. Um, just depends on the child mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you can have typical traits in boys and typical traits in girls, but it wouldn't be the same for everybody. Am I imagining that girls get hard to say sorry than lads? I'd say Is that so. just in my house? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's just in your house. Just in my house. Yeah. Just my, my two Would houses, you? my home place and my house now. Really? Yeah. Well, we were kind of reared, when you were saying you were reared, I was kind of reared by my siblings, um, mommy and daddy would, in this, the, the, the head of it. The hierarchy. Because like my oldest brother would be nearly 60. Yeah. You know, my How sister. How many of you is there? There's 11. Jeepers, mm. fine crowdy. Sort of like a busy house. <laughs> busy. And uh, my sisters would always say that, damn, ma'am, daddy would have been strict with them. Whereas we, we done what we wanted. <laughs> you know, we, we, we done what we wanted and our brothers bet the shit out of us. I don't know. No, maybe it did do us harm. I don't know. But like we all get on. You seem to get on though. Oh no, we get on. We get on. Would you be hurting each other now? Oh, Fuck. But I <laughs> I remember Mammy crying, taking me and Garrett A and E saying they're oh gonna God. they're gonna take you off us. Jesus Christ. They're, you're gonna be taken off us. I remember going with uh, I had a broken arm and I'd cast on and Garrett pushed me off something really high and my bone came out of my wrist and Oh my god. I, I, I he was after being in A and E the, the week before I threw washing powder in his eyes. <laughs> and he hit me with a brush and my 
lower eyelid went social, under me. Social services consult here in Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of things crashing tractors and Jesus. splitting each other. I put a scar. Did on. Annie do any like harm that you couldn't take away? Yeah, no. Gary looks like Scarface because of me. Really? Yeah. We, we 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 just but we I don't think me and Garrett were brought to town only once a year. Christmas. To town. No wonder. Yeah. I wouldn't bring you to town either. No, I know, I know. <laughs> and we lived on a farm and I, I didn't I didn't we didn't know any different. Like we're just the, lunatics, mountain men. Out in the farm. <laughs> I don't think there was any writing going on no, in the, we don't even have a basement. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's 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 it's, mad, it's it? weird though. Yeah, you know, like I wouldn't change it for the world, and I I am um, I fucking love my parents. Yeah, and so do I. Absolutely, every you know, they're the best people. Yeah, absolutely. But that's you know, that's the way our children feel about us. No matter what, they love you. They love you, even if you are a fucked up parent. It doesn't matter. No. Like I've had children come through my things and I come across children in the world and their parents can be this, that and whatever. It doesn't matter. You love them. But it's also the coolest thing about kids, isn't it? Mm. That I find. It's like they're all in. Yeah. Like they want to have the best relationship in the world with you. They're they're there. They're they want it. Well, yeah, it's up to you it. whether you reciprocate it or yeah. not. It's like they're all in. Yeah, well, like what an opportunity though mm. to get. To have these people who who I love, delight, who delight in you. And that's what we want to give back to the kids. Like you only have a few people in your life that delight in you. Mm. In, you know them. Yeah. Do you know, I only have a few who I really feel like, oh, they think I'm the best thing. Yeah. And slice red, like, and, and you be your true authentic self around them because you'll be definitely be whatever you want to be. And they don't care because they love you. Um. But there's only a few and you want to give your children that delight, each of them. Mm. Like, I delight in your existence. Like, you make the world a better place. And even saying those things to the kids, it's so important that they do feel that. And they feel that true authenticity is exactly what they need to be. Mm. Don't need to change. And even like the values are the in your children that are tricky, you know, like Jane now is going to be one, you know, she's going to try mm. and get what she wants, you know, yeah. and... She'll say what she needs, whatever. That's a good value to have, you know. You want her to be like that. You do. Like, you have to try and manage it within your family system. But you want her to have that audacity. And you want you her do. to be you able to say to no. But, you you know, we don't want to take a no off a child ever. We want them to be able to say no. Like, you want to be the teenage, them to be the teenager who comes across things and said, mm, no, that doesn't feel safe for me. I'm not doing that. I wasn't like that. Because I was a people pleaser. So I was a good girl and did everything that I was told. And I was a perfectionist. And I got great on school. Came to my teenage years. Do you want to do this? Yeah, I will. Because I'm going to please you. And I'm going to be the best person ever. And that's what I thought would make me be liked. So I did all sorts of things that I shouldn't have done. Luckily, I came out the other side. Mm. But, you know, you don't want that for your own kid. You don't want that people pleasing going into them. Do you, have, you can't hide anyone from the horrors of the world, though. How do you, do you let them introduce themselves to it? You have to let things happen organically as they come into their teenage years and hope, you know, that you have built a relation strong enough, relationship strong enough that even if they do do something, they're able to come to you and tell you. Do you know, that's the thing. You want the no matter what. Doesn't matter. If you murder someone and you put them in the lake, you can tell me. I will be there for you mm. and I will be with you. 
and I'd sit with it with you no matter what. Um, you don't want them to have come to you and them gotten in big, mad, massive trouble for doing something and when they're smallies and being afraid then to come to you when they're older. You want to build that relationship with the no matter what. Yeah, definitely. I, I would never, I wouldn't have gone with everything like, would you? No, <laughs> well, I would have went to my brother's though. Yeah, yeah, I probably would have went to my brother more so now. My sister would be the good one out of the three mm. of us. So I probably would have gone to my brother and gone here. We were, we were <laughs> only, bother. we were only saying last night, the, we'd done a podcast with a guy from Port Leash and we were just on about the definition of success. Mm. And like the definition of success is when you're older, your kids want to come back and hang with you mm. without you asking them. Yeah, love that. That's what I want. I want a house filled of love and people who want to be there and to be feeling really comfortable in your home. I love to picture that. Do you like, do you know, oh, when they're yeah. older? We, we, me and Vicky think about it at Christmas. Yeah. This big house full with of grandkids and, yeah. and, and, and dogs. And partners and, or whoever they are yeah. and everyone coming in and feeling really welcomed back in mm. and feeling warm and safe and loved and, non, and the no matter what. Only a come. small bit of fighting. Small bit. I'll fight. You know, that's good. That builds us all up, I think. Are you ready for the questions? Oh, yeah. Is there questions? Oh, just questions. Oh, Jesus. It's quick fire ones and you have to answer them real quick. Oh, my God. Okay. No, you don't have to, you don't have to think about it too much, right? Okay. And we're going to keep it nice and simple. Well, was it as hard as you thought it was going to be? You were a little bit nervous coming up here. I was a bit nervous. I just wasn't sure what you were going to ask me. See, you'd be watching my see, stories thinking that that's uh, really me. No, to be honest, I'm kind of an open book. I don't mind really what people ask me. I give you an honest answer. I bet you just want to hear that you won't like. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Super. Is this a yes, no answer now? Or is no, no, like, these oh, are... Oh, yeah, yeah. What's your first vivid childhood memory? Oh, that's a really hard question. Oh, I know what it is. I, um... Fell down. I was racing with my sister in the hallway and I fell and I put my hand through the front door and I have a big scar on my wrist here. I had a load of stitches. It was all big hospital when I was four. Um, and I remember the big panic and the thing and I remember being in hospital and I remember getting Care Bear rubbers off everyone. I remember Care Bears. Yeah. Care Bears there. They were class. I used to watch them. Yeah. Okay. You can watch whatever you want. You can watch whatever you want. What's the most painful thing you've ever been told? Oh, Jesus Christ, David. <laughs> um, mother of mercy. Are you having a laugh at these? This isn't a funny one at all. <laughs> painful thing I've ever been told. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think anyone's ever said that painful. Cause honestly, because I've never really, like I, don't, I haven't experienced grief yet. Um, do you know, so it wasn't like someone mm. telling me someone had passed or anything like that. Um, I don't know. Well, that's cool that you don't know how to answer that. Oh, yeah, I if you walked God. into a room with everyone you'd ever met, Jesus, who would you go looking for first? Hmm. I could go and say the first person that popped into my head. Well, yeah, I? yeah. Is that what you're supposed that's to say? That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah, my brother. Weirdly. Shout, shout out to your brother. I know. If you could I don't make know if that's a good thing or a bad if thing. If you could make one phone call to heaven, who would you call? I was gonna say Ghostbusters. That's not funny. Um it's funny enough. Who are they gonna call? <laughs> Ghostbusters. No. I don't know. Um I don't know who I call. See I Heath Ledger. That's who I'm calling. Do you like Heath Ledger? Loved him. He's my number one man. Oh my god. 
Ten Things I Hate About You. Was that what done it? Was that what done it? That movie. Mm. Oh yeah. He's like unreal. Do you watch Dark Knight much? No. Have you ever watched it? I have. But I haven't watched it in ages. I much watch it. It's you really must good. watch it. It's the best, isn't I think it? Think you're little Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. Mm. <laughs> you look so like you know, you're just like a little child. When I, you lo- I love I love the kids like. <laughs> I know, They're the best it. thing in my life. Uh, is home for you a place or a feeling? A feeling. You'd move in the morning. Yeah, we would. We would. Where would you like to move? We would just like to move somewhere else in Clemores. I thought you were going to say Dubai. (laughs) (laughs) It totally threw me off there. I was expecting Dubai, Japan, you know, Wyoming, you know, something, something mad. Four doors down, please. (laughs) Actually, that would be ideal. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Would you like yourself if you met yourself? I don't know. Would I? I don't know. Why? I, I might be a bit annoying, I think. Do you know yourself? No, I think I'm great. <laughs> so why would you not like Maybe yourself? Maybe that's why I would like I think myself. I'm so good, Father, that I should get the two parachutes just exactly. in case the second doesn't open. <laughs> no, I don't know. It was funny. We were actually away last weekend with my husband and a, and a couple. And I heard my husband say to the other couple, we're on about personalities and not being everybody's cup of tea or whatever. And my husband said, yeah, you know, I think sometimes in people like you, they're just like, is she really that nice? But you actually are. <laughs> I was like, all right, sound. But I don't know, I'm a, I can be quite hyper. I can be, you know, a bit in your face. I can, I think I'm funny. So I could be possibly annoying to people who are like, you're not funny. You're a dickhead. So I don't know. But do maybe you, I would like myself. Do you give out to your husband much? No. Never? Barely. Not a giver outer. I'm do not you, his mother like. Would you fall out with him? No. Silent treatment? The odd time. But he would he would have caused it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. No, I'm not a confrontation. I just like, yeah, come on, get over that now and move on. I don't I'm not a worrier. I'm not a fighter. I could be arsed. If it doesn't affect me, I don't care about it. Do you know that kind of way? You know, I love that worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Do you ever think though if you have confrontation? That eventually it just has to be done because confrontation delayed is confrontation multiplied. With your partner, yes. I think. I would prefer to nip things earlier and be like, here, what's going on? Tell me. Can we move on? Because this is shit. Do you know, I wouldn't be going on about it for ages and it's like, okay, you have your opinion. I've, And that's the thing with, I think, partner conflict as well. It doesn't always have to be resolved. I can have my opinion, you can have yours. We can chat about it. Okay, I kind of see your side a bit better. Let's move on. Hmm. Do you know? Yeah. I prefer it like that. If you had to ask one person in your life a question and they had to answer truthfully, they had to answer truthfully, what would it be? Who would you ask? These are hard. They're not. They actually are like one person. Yeah, David calls them quick fire and they're like the longest (laughs) part of the podcast. Quick fire. Like. What's your favorite color? Exactly. That's, that's what it's always going to be. I don't know who I'm asking, Anthony. To. I've no one. So, David, I'll ask you a question. Are you going to have another baby? I'm not going to. Vicky's the boss in my house. Is she? Oh, yeah. Go on. 
Why is she the boss? No, you just provide the goods. <laughs> Vicky's the glue that holds everyone together. Okay. Vicky's the the woman. I'd have nothing if it wasn't for Vicky. She's some woman. I can't believe she wants another baby. She's unreal. She's mad for one. She just she says, uh, I know her so well. I just feel I'm not finished. Oh, just, oh, just something then tells you're me. You're definitely having another one. Something so. tells me. And, like, and it's only like about uh, three months ago. I was walking down the hall and it was well, four, three o'clock in the morning. I knew it to be up in an hour and a half. And I was going down to get something for the baby. And I was there. Oh my God, I'm 43. What am I doing? <laughs> I don't even have my house built yet. And I was there. Oh my God, I'm drowning. Don't drown. I know. Uh, who brings you the most happiness in your life? My children. That was an easy one anyway. Yeah. Uh, do you believe in God? I do. Which God do you believe in? Because <laughs> you have to ask that now. Oh, like the main man. <laughs> the main man. Yeah. Do you go to Mass? I have to go to Mass this evening, actually. But I haven't gone in years. But I have to go this evening because my child is making a communion this year. Ours too. Yeah, so we have to go. We have a communion and a evening. confirmation. Oh, lovely. Uh, we should go at six o'clock this evening and the kids are like, I don't want to go to Mass. Mass is so boring. And I'm like, you're going to Mass. <laughs> like, we had to go every Sunday. You don't know uh, like what yeah, life is about. Too. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been in years. But, yeah, we'll go this evening now. We get all set and pretend we're Do you pray? Holy. I do sometimes. Yeah. But I'm kind of a, you know, I'll pray if I if something's going wrong. You know, that kind of, or I pray to St. Anthony. He's a mighty man. He He's finds, a mighty man. He finds, finds everything for me. Finds and I never give him money either. I promise him I will, but I never do. Because I don't ne- know. I don't no, even know where. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pray for you for that pray one for too, me. David. Pray I'll pray for Vicky. Vicky, Vicky said that to me one day. That was nice, wasn't it? I will pray uh, for Vicky. A table of about 20 people. Here, you're not doing too badly. If no, I'm not doing fine. It's, a, it's like uh, the lads go. Have she you wants to go again. What was it? One lad said, if you saw Mickey, he was big enough to fill four buggies. Yeah. Uh, uh, when was the last time you shit yourself? Like physically? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the questions. I've never shit myself. Never? No. That's, you're the first one that hasn't shit themselves. That's a boy thing. No? No. No, girls do it too. Do you pay on your pants? Yeah. I love how, like, your reaction to that question was, what? And my reaction was, uh, I think it was the last time, whatever, when I was doing it, I just had the answer ready. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, I must try pooing my pants. No, don't do it. If, oh. you, if you can get away with not doing it, don't do it. No, no, no. Mine was, mine was a horrific one. Really? Yeah, it wasn't even. Uh, it was. It was Did a, you diarrhea? Like, were no, you sick? No, it was a full poop. Full one. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. your pants. I was. Uh, it, it's on the podcast, but I'll just go over it again if someone's heard it. Uh, <laughs> I was going out with a girl, and uh, you know, fancy her, and I was like holding my farts all day. Oh no! Yeah, and then I started getting a pain in my tummy, and I was there. Look, I have to go. I have to go. Ran out of the house, and I said, "I let it fart." Next thing, a turtle head started coming out. Oh no! Oh, King Kong's finger. <gasps> King Kong's finger. Didn't get home. I had to pull up the side of the road, and I just had my trousers down. And next thing, just this big like a missile oh of gosh. poo. Throw away the underpants. Throw away the trousers. Walking home, Daddy was there. What? What are you doing? Shit myself, Dad. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's you my story. Thing. Yeah. That's tough. It's terrible. Yeah. We don't hold in your first. That's your lesson what there. What do you want to be known for when you die? Hmm. That's a good question. That's a tough one because it's like, is it like professionally or is it just in general or whatever? Um, Whichever one comes first, yeah. 
I don't want to make this real generic. Like I want to be known for being good. Um, I want to be known for being a good listener, actually. Because I think that's the thing that we have got an issue with. People don't, and it's something that I've practiced myself as well. We don't actively listen to other people. We listen, but we're just waiting to tell. Mm. So like, you know, someone says something like, oh, I have a good story. And you're waiting, you're waiting. So anyways, mm. you know, so you don't actually listen to the other person like and wait. So that's something that I would like to be really good at and to be known for. And I think I'd like people to be able to come to me and know that I would listen and not be jumping in my own story afterwards. It's just that I'd be like, okay, thanks for telling me that. Glad you were able to get that off your chest. With my children, my partner, everybody, I suppose. And even professionally as well, I think that would be an important role for me. Do you know? When you listen to people, they don't belong telling you who they are either. Because <laughs> not a lot of people don't listen. Yeah. It's the way normal conversations work now is what you said. Or they're just waiting to say. Yeah. Like, Do you know, you'll say, oh, John has whatever going on. Be like, actually, I actually had that. And, you know, you'd be jumping in with mm. thing. And sometimes it's very relevant and sometimes it's fine. But sometimes you just need to be like, oh, right. Okay. That's big. I'm not going to tell you this big long story about mine. Do you know? Mm. So I think that's a good thing to be. Active listener. It's a good thing to teach the kids too. Debbie, it was lovely talking to you. <laughs> lovely talking to you too. Did you want to ask your, your question that you thought of Ooh. before the podcast? What is it? I'm scared. The, what's the difference between... Marmalade and jam. <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> what's the difference between a psychotherapist oh, yeah. and a psychiatrist? Yeah, what's the difference between a psychotherapist oh, and a psychiatrist? Okay, so psychiatrists give you drugs. Good one. Good one. They give you drugs. Psychiatrists can prescribe medication. That's the only difference. And psychotherapists is a talk-based um, type therapy. And all, all different creative psychotherapy and all different types of elements of it. But we can't prescribe anything or we don't like, you know, people would say to me, could you assess a child for autism or anything? No, nothing like that. That's nothing to do with my realm. That would be like a psychology type thing. But uh, yeah. Could you tell if a child is psychotic when, it's, when it comes to you? Like, would you be able to go, ooh, Jesus, psychosis now is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. I've never come across a psychotic child. Honestly. So far. Um, but psychosis is, is quite a big thing, you know. Um, but like I wouldn't be able to, I couldn't, like people would come to me, you know, with children and I just take them as they are, whether they are autistic or have ADHD or they're waiting on diagnosis or waiting for assessment or whatever. It doesn't matter. And the same with anybody's children. It doesn't like a diagnosis will give you more information, but you take the child where they're at. You would say to me, have you an opinion on whether they are or not? It doesn't matter to me. I'm taking the child. I'm seeing them where they're at and I'm going to go from there. And that's what's important. Um, that's other people's and other experts um, realm, not mine. We definitely go on lived experience in my work. So we would look at like what's happened to them. So it would be really a what's happened to you rather than what's wrong with you sort of stance that I would take in the work that I do which is really good like to do you ever really cry when you're talking to kids or feel like crying no I'm not a big crier actually I don't cry much even in sad movies mm. nah not really I might be like oh and then like that's it I'm not a crier are you go on I'm not gonna cry now in front of you embarrassed <laughs> Okay, you don't have to. But yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. I probably should cry more. It's probably, you know what? My brother's come up a lot for some reason. But 
years ago, I broke up with a boyfriend when I was like 13 and, and he'd call me tiny tears. And I think since then I was like, you know what, fuck you, I'm crying anymore, being vulnerable in front of people. So maybe that's what I did. Don't cry much anymore. But it's not a bad thing to cry. Awesome. Okay. That's we, what we're we, th- yeah, we will uh, put links. Is okay. We put links to your page and stuff, and Sound. it was it was great talking to you. Hopefully, now I'm even a. But Vicky said to me when I come home, "You're going to be a better dad when you come home." I said, "Absolutely, You're absolutely." Brilliant, daddy. Uh, we'll see when they're all grown up. They're not grew up yet. Yeah, but you know <coughs> your raising, and you know, you're I think, raising good kids. I do think though that we we're only part of it. You know, you, you don't know what they're, you can do the best job in the world, but when they go out into it, it's all your control, isn't it? It is. But it's the same with us, do you know? And, you know, we get on all right. Once we've built the skills in them, they'll get on all right. Please God. Yeah, exactly. That's, That's why I go to Mass. <laughs> do you still go to Mass? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Every Sunday? No. Saturdays? Sometimes. It depends if we have time, we'll go. Do you drag the whole lot along? Yeah. Go on. And Vicky goes every odd morning. She needs an award. And she's Protestant. <laughs> she definitely needs an award. So. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, it was lovely talking oh, to you. You too. Thanks, Thanks so much. <laughs>